Welcome to the Audience Converter Podcast, the podcast for converting your audience from strangers to loyal fans. We dive deep and discuss how entrepreneurs, consultants, and coaches can level up their business to help more people in the world. Now here's your host, the creator of the Audience Conversion Method, Kimberly Whitecamp. As an entrepreneur, you wear all of the hats, bookkeeper, sales specialist, customer service, social media manager, marketing director, and of course, you have to find the time to do your actual job, the reason you became an entrepreneur in the first place, and decided to help people. It's really difficult to find the time to do your own tasks, much less create your own marketing. That's why I've created the Audience Conversion Method Live, a four-week course that's going to dive deep into the framework I've created to help my clients plan out their next 12 months of marketing. No more wondering if you're writing the right stuff, if you're posting in the right places, or what you should be doing the next time you sit down to create your own marketing. Join me on the wait list and be the first to receive information about how to sign up and be eligible for an early bird bonus. Go to theaudienceconverter.com slash waitlist dash AC dash live. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Audience Converter Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about how you can train your brain and all kinds of other productivity hacks, which I'm really excited about. I'm Kimberly Whitecamp, your host, conversion copywriter, and marketing strategist. And today, to discuss this topic with me, I have Mariah Ellert. She is a certified neurosculpting facilitator, master nutrition therapist, and head rebel brain. After working on Wall Street for 20 plus years, she discovered a new level of stress while balancing major family trauma, losing the big money job, and renovating an old church. She found a way out using brain science and determination. Through all of this, she learned valuable, life-altering tools to not just navigate, but to rock life with ease and joy. And she founded it the Rebel Brain to help people in high stress life paths gain tools to calm their stress response and activate more of their brain to potential. Her mission, of course, is to help elevate your potential, your productivity, and raise your joy level. And I'm all about raising the joy level and getting more productive at the same time. So Mariah, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you. What a great introduction. (laughs) I try. So, you know, we're just going to dive right in. Uh, Tell me about, you know, this whole, I stayed on Wall Street for 20 years and then I found a new level of stress. Tell me about a little bit of your challenges and what kind of brought you to founding the Rebel Brain? The, so yeah, I love, I love this question because I have always done things atypically and for a long, for most of my life, I thought there was something wrong with me. Like, why can't I do something quote unquote normal, like most people? And the moment that things shifted when I was when I realized that, you know, this is this is more of an empowerment than uh, a deficit. You know, this is this is me being a rebel and doing things atypically, like running a marathon and then learning to train for one. I don't recommend that, but it's an example. Um, and having worked on Wall Street, I you know I thought I knew stress. I thought I knew, I thought I knew what you know heavy life things could be. But it wasn't until after I left Wall Street and became an entrepreneur that I really started to learn what stress could be and how it could so deeply affect us and affect our bodies and our, our productivity and even just our basic brain functioning and how that chronic reaction can be really devastating to us. Wow. Uh, 
running a marathon and then training for it. That, that does sound a little bit like uh, something that a rebel might do. Um, I, you know, the farthest I run is upstairs. So uh, <laughs> that is not my idea of fun. But, you know, you've said so many great things there about how, you know, being an entrepreneur is a different level of stress and mm-hmm. how it can really change our brain chemistry and our brain function by having that constant level of stress. So can you dive a little bit more into that idea and how specifically it refers to uh, entrepreneurs and affects us? Oh, absolutely. This is something I love. I love to talk about because it's so sneaky. It's really sneaky how it kind of stress sneaks into our everyday life. And before we know it, we're not able to even just sit and read a book on the couch anymore. You know, we have this level of anxiety that's kind of running through us and we've forgotten how to pause And, you know, I found in my journey that, sure, yoga classes and, you know, like basic breathing meditation apps, they helped the short term, but they didn't give me something that was more um, sustainable, that really integrated into my nervous system to a point where I was more productive and I wasn't up all night long with worry and anxiety and, you know, that constant wheel running and the the chatter in the brain. So being able to um, learn like the, basically the language of the brain and how we can speak to it in a very specific way that, you know, science has taught us this, like there's research out there in the neuroscience community and from neurologists that, you know, tell us how this works. So being able to use that in this modality of neurosculpting and Basically, what we're doing is there's those two parts of our two parts of our brain that are um, the most important when it comes to regulating our stress. Our limbic center, which is kind of like I, I refer to it as the lizard brain, the um, it's always running, it's constantly on alert, and it's there to protect us. It's there to watch our back. So it has all of those senses going all of the time so that we can focus on whatever it is we're doing, like, you know, walking to the coffee shop to get our coffee. Meanwhile, it's making sure that, you know, like it's watching to see if a boulder is going to hit us or a mountain lion is going to attack us. And the tricky thing about that part of the brain is that it doesn't know the difference between say that mountain lion attacking us and our perceived stress. So something we're worrying about, we're projecting into the future, we're perceiving something bad that might happen, like the bills we're going to get or the, you know, that, that difficult client or maybe no clients or whatever, whatever that is that causing us stress or social, you know, uh, political things that are going on or, you know, the kids or whatever it is that we're perceiving stress. It's not an actual threat, but our brain is reacting exactly the same way as if a mountain lion is attacking us. So it's diverting our resources away from our digestive system, away from our midline. It's getting our bodies ready to run or to fight. Does that make sense so far? Absolutely. You know, we've all heard about the the flight or fight response. And I like how you're talking about how, you know, in olden times, right, we we needed that ability to be able to run from the big boulder or the mountain lion. Um, but I at least don't live anywhere near either of those uh, <laughs> problems. But, you know, that, that yeah. constant uh, hamster in the head, right, the constant uh, thoughts just kind of always running through your mind and, and the guilt and the other associated uh, emotions with constantly thinking what's going to happen, what's going to happen. It's, it's exhausting for sure. So what is the other part of the, the brain that we kind of need to think about for, for neurosculpting and for how our minds react to stress? Definitely. So that, yeah, and that constant chatter is what's going to cause or that reaction in our body from the constant chatter 
is causing, um, you know, chronic stress and the illness and disease that comes from chronic stress and the inflammation, the full body inflammation. So the other part of our brain that works uh, inversely has an inverse relationship with that lizard brain is what I, I kind of call it the human brain, our higher brain. So that's uh, more of our, in our pre, it's our, our prefrontal cortex, basically more like front of toward the front inside middle of the brain front middle of the brain and it it's the part of the brain that makes us that's basically it makes us uniquely human it's where language and writing are where empathy compassion love our ability to project to think forward big picture thinking goal setting spirituality all of that lives in that part of the brain but the tricky thing about it is that this part of the brain unlike our lizard brain is a diva like it needs good sleep, it needs proper nutrition, it exhausts easily, it uses somewhere around 25% of the brain's resources. So it really needs a lot of attention in order to be activated. Whereas the other part of the brain, its default is to run off of nothing. It's fine on Twinkies and soda and no sleep. <laughs> so you can Boy, see that how, sounds horrible. I know. So you can see how it's so easy for us to go to a stress response or to um, or to, uh, you know, like that worry and anxiety place because we're, we're designed that way. So we really have to make an effort to shift that balance, but we, it's, it's not as hard as it seems because we can activate both that higher brain and deactivate the stress brain at the same time. So what you're saying is basically, uh, we're, we're hardwired to mm-hmm. always be worrying and we have to kind of train ourselves to, to not put worry first. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. All we're, right. I want to hear more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're hard, we're hardwired for it because it's there to protect our lives. So if you think of things, especially in the entrepreneur world where, you know, we try something new, which we're doing almost on a daily basis. We're trying something new or, you know, working on a new innovation or a new, you know, idea to get our message out there. And anytime we try something new, at least for myself, nine times out of 10, well, especially if it's something big, like, you know, speaking or, you know, doing international, whatever, um, there's this element of being outside of our comfort zone. We've all heard of our comfort zone and how it can be a little scary when we get outside of that. And the reason it's scary is because that lizard brain is saying, wait, we don't know this path. There could be a mountain lion on it. So back up, back up. Are you sure you want to do this? You know, let me just throw some self-doubt in there. Let me throw in some, you know, are you sure? And, you know, are you sure you're enough? And, you know, those sorts of old stories and to try and stop us from doing something new because it wants to protect us on a very, very basic level. But we know that, you know, this, this new idea or this new innovation is not, you know, physical threat. So we can calm that part of the brain down. Wow. I mean, you know, that whole idea of we're always constantly trying new things because as entrepreneurs, we wear all of the hats, basically. All of them. And, you know, all of the hats, all the hats, but they all look fashionable, so it's fine. Uh, But, (laughs) you know, that idea of when you go down that new path, our brain kind of creating those obstacles that don't necessarily need to be there in order to protect us, right? Uh, Is this going to uh, stab me in the back? Is there somebody hiding? Is there Mm -hmm. a, a badness waiting for us to, to mess up essentially. Um, I love that, uh, that analogy you gave of like going down the path with the mountain lion, you know, kind of stalking <laughs> you as, as, as your new thing as an entrepreneur. That's great. But yeah, that mountain lion is usually just self-doubt. 
Yeah, it's not an actual physical threat. It's just ourselves um, and our that old brain, that old part of our brain trying to protect us. And if we know consciously that it's, you know, this is just a new thing. So what I do whenever I whenever I'm doing something big, when I'm trying something new, when I first launch a business or, you know, whatever it happens to be, I can guarantee that within two or three days, self doubt self doubt knocks on my door, <laughs> wants to come in and pay a visit. And I know not to make any big decisions around that time. Like, well, oh, I don't know, maybe this isn't a good idea. It's really a lot of work. It's, you know, I don't know if I can do it and I can't, you know, can I do it as well as I want to be able to do it? I just put all of those thoughts on a shelf and say, you know what, keep going to your plan. And in a week, set a date or a time, whatever, you know, whatever seems to be enough to get through that. And then when that self-doubt kind of calms down and stops chattering at me, then I make a more rational decision. Like, well, yeah, actually I'm going to give this try. Even if I fail, I'm, you know, learn something from that. I had this big launch last year um, as an example. And I realized that, you know, I planned everything. I had a launch strategy. It was, you know, I felt super savvy with all this new technology and I had this great offering. I built this whole program. And then it occurred to me, I don't have anybody on my list. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should stop. Like, this is really big. I don't know. Oh my gosh, who am I to be doing this? And I, I shelved it all. I went, you know what? If nothing else, I'm going to learn how to do this launch. I'm going to learn how to do a launch. So self-doubt, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to take a break today. I'm going through with it. So things like that, like just acknowledging that you're, you're having an internal discussion. And if it's trying to sabotage you, just back up and say, you know, this might be a fear. And a fear I can manage because fear is is it's it's a projection of something it's not an actual threat so basically then what you're talking about is when you you encounter those doubts or those fears or you're doing that new thing you you get started then two or three days know that that those self doubts and those <laughs> uh, that little chatter is going to start uh-huh. happening and say to yourself okay i'm going to pause but i'm not going to stop and then I'm just going to let it keep chattering for a couple of days. And then I'll, I'll, once it's had a chance to calm down, I will go back and, and relook at things and make sure it is something I want to do. Did I get that correct? Correct. Yeah. To make sure that it's not a fear. Make sure it's not a fear. That makes so much sense that, you know, knowing just, it's, it's one way to kind of prepare yourself, right? It's like, you know, that if you try something new, you're going to have doubts and that's okay. But instead of letting them control you, you kind of just say, okay, the doubts are going to show up. I'm going to let them show up. But then I'm also going to say, okay, I'm not going to make any big decisions until they get a chance to pipe down. <laughs> exactly. And I, you can create your own rules around it too. Those are mine. But I do notice that, you know, I notice the patterns. And once I'm able to see the patterns, then I can kind of create a structure around that to help um, keep myself from making decisions out of fear. So if uh, that's not, so that's your pattern then, how can others kind of figure out how to recognize their patterns and make their own schedule around them? Notice, just start paying attention. Start paying attention to the, start paying attention to the, that chatter to, because uh, we all know when what self-doubt is. We, we know what it feels like in our body as well. And notice your body is also really a really good um, uh, like notebook notebook for you. It can it keeps track of everything. So when you start to feel a contraction, like for me, when you know something really scared my shoulders, I, I get it in my shoulders or my gut kind of clenches up. And when you start to notice that contraction in your body, because that is a direct response from the stress response. 
then go back to, okay, what is, what is causing me to have this contraction? What is stressful? Is something attacking me? Okay, no. So it must be some sort of fear. What could that fear be? And reverse engineer it. And after you do that a few times, you start to see patterns emerge. Like me with trying something new. Uh, I know that when I try something new, self-doubt will show up. So when self-doubt shows up and I start having that, those, are you sure you're enough for this? Are you sure this is, you're good enough? Or are you sure, are you sure what fill in the blank, whatever that is um, at the time, then I know that, hang on a second, wait, 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 I just started something new. So now I'm getting these, you know, this talk or um, another time it shows up is when, um, especially when I'm tired, when I'm, uh, you know, I'm exhausted or I haven't eaten, you know, that hangry feeling. Mm. I never make any decisions in that state <laughs> because that's, that's kind of a limbic state. Like our body is going into a state of survival on some level, you know, wait, I'm hungry. I can't think straight. So, cause your prefrontal cortex is not engaged then. It's, it's in that survival place. It's in the, I need food and I'm going to get any, you know, anybody that comes in my way better get out of my way. Cause I need food now. Like, oh, it's pure survival. Um, that's not a very good time for me to make decisions. And I'm guessing for most people, it probably isn't either. So, you know, notice things like that. Like when, when, or you could think of it the opposite way. When is the best time for me to make a decision on anything? It's when I'm well rested. I'm, you know, I'm well nourished. I am in a very safe environment and I have all my needs met. So all those safety things that our brain likes and the predictability things that uh, that lizard brain likes are taken care of. So it's offline. So you have more access to that prefrontal cortex, that higher brain, that, that big picture thinking, the goal setting, the puzzle solving, the empathy, the compassion. And when that's online, that's when we're most primed to make the best decisions and to create and to innovate. So understanding and recognizing when you're in a state of stress and when you're not in a state of stress is um, kind of how I start to notice those patterns. You know, like first notice, notice when you're in each of those states and then notice the patterns that are associated with them. Absolutely. That makes so much sense as well. You know, uh, I know I've found, right, if it's time to sit down and start writing some really hardcore marketing copy, I need to do all of my research, right? You have to be well-rested. You have to be nourished. You have to be able to access, as you were talking about, that creative side, be able to access that really higher functioning side. Because if you've got those distractions of, boy, I'm tired, then of course, you know, not everything is going to be put into making those right decisions and figuring out, um, you know, the big decisions for your business. So, uh, it makes a lot of sense that you want to be in that really good state where everything is everything is at least status quo so that you can then, you know, turn off the lizard brain, as you say. Exactly, exactly. And then that's that's kind of the difference too of what you're going to produce. So if you're if you're tired and hungry or you know, you've had a really stressful day and you sit down to write those to write those messages, it's gonna feel more of like, I gotta hack these out versus I'm in the flow. I'm so in the flow that I barely even know what I'm writing. And you go back and read it the next day or days later and you're like, wow, damn, I'm good. I wrote all that. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely know what you're talking about, right? Right? That's kind of why, um, you know, that also relates to making sure that you're really passionate about what you do and everything. But that whole idea of, you know, if you try and power through something, then you always have that message in the back of your mind that you're powering through, you're pushing against something. So it's not from a place of how can I succeed? It's from a place of what do I need to overcome, which completely yeah. changes the conversation. Yeah, you're, you're going in with resistance instead of um, receiving. 
Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about, you know, what is neurosculpting? I think we've been talking about it a little bit, but, but what is neurosculpting and how can people use it? Neurosculpting is so, it has been such an amazing tool for me. I am, I just, I love it so much. I love it because it brings um, brain science and meditation together. So when I go into a quote unquote meditation, I really feel like I'm, you know, kind of doing a little workout, <laughs> like I'm working my brain because what it, it's a, um, it's a five-step process. It was designed by Lisa Weinberger here in uh, Denver, Colorado, the Neurosculpting Institute. And it's designed to one, calm down that limbic center, calm down that lizard brain. And then two, it tickles, it kind of excites the prefrontal cortex. And what that's doing is getting the brain involved, putting the brain in the right state. So we're not, you know, like we were talking about the writing, the emails, you know, like you want to be, you want to be in the best place possible to do your best work. Right. And the same goes with, goes for learning. So we want, if we're going to learn a new pattern, because there, it is, it is so unlimited what you can do with, um, what we can do with neurosculpting as far as like rewire, rewiring our brains or reconditioning or repatterning uh, old beliefs. So the old belief of, you know, I'm not enough. You know, that self-doubt that shows up at the door. Like I've reworked that. I've reworked that over time. And it's, it's amazing how we can adjust our brains to grow as humans. So the first two steps down, down regulate that, um, that limbic center. And then we upregulate the prefrontal cortex. So we get the brain curious and interested and novel, you know, thinking about novel things. And then, then what happens is we start, um, and it sounds super easy when you're in one of the med- meditations, you're like, okay, so I think about my finger, what? All right. <laughs> but it's, it's bringing the brain to something curious and interesting so that the neurons are getting more excited and will want to send whatever the next message is. And then we go between the two hemispheres, back and forth between the two hemispheres. So we're getting um, all the parts of the brain interested. And then what we do is we input the message. So we bring in the story that you want to tell. Say the story is, you know, something as simple, but very important as releasing stress. You know, how can I release stress? What is the way I can release stress? So wiring in a, a way to release stress so that it becomes easier. And then the third step is because the body is attached, we're not disattached. We give it a, um, a somatic cue. So say like tapping or a hand gesture or whatever feels comfortable at the time. Uh, I still think it feels a little weird to do that in meditation, but it is, uh, it goes back to Hebb's law, um, neurons that fire together, wire together. So it's two separate networks. You're taking things like Pavlov's dog, you know, there's two separate things going on there and they're connected. So you're connecting this tapping with this idea of release in the brain and you're wiring those together neurologically so that after your meditation, you can be like, oh yeah, here's my little tapping. I'm, you know, tapping my fingers together, my two fingers together. Oh yeah, that's right. That meditation release, release the stress. (laughs) So you have, um, it won't be as big as doing the entire meditation, but you have that little reference to go back to, to help reinforce it. And then the final step of the five-step process is giving the meditation a label. So some sort of name, Again, it's, you know, working different parts of the brain again, getting it interested and remembering so that you have yet another anchor to go back to. So it's something easy, like say ease, E-A-S-E. You have, you think of that word or it comes across your, you and during your day and you have another reference point back to, oh yeah, 
release, release the stress. And you think of whatever it is, because everybody comes up with something different. And I also, you know, like every time I do the meditation, I come up with something different, um, have a different way to release that stress now. Wow, that's such an in-depth, but as you said, <laughs> a, a deceptively simple process, as you talked about, that that five-step process of and kind of uh, making sure that you turn off the one, turn on the other, right? You have to switch gears, uh, and then you have to kind of signal to yourself where you are. Um, and then I like that that last part where you give it a name, because I know in the marketing world and in terms of just <laughs> yes. how human psychology works, right? The power of naming something gives it a lot of power in your mind and how you do things. Um, so, you know, I, I love that that nice process. People can learn a little bit about it, how it works. Um, so we're almost out of time here. Uh, but, you know, on the Audience Converter podcast and just when working with anybody, I'm always about action. What is the one big thing people can do? So if you had to tell people, okay, now that you've learned all about, uh, you know, neurosculpting and learned all about how you can manage your stress responses, what is the one thing you would tell people they need to go do and take away from this episode? One thing that one message that I, um, I really like to share is to be courageous. You know, there's always... There's always going to, their fear is, it's always going to be there no matter what, but it's also a perception we have. So be courageous, like work, figure out what your fears are and work through them. And that's where, that's where we also grow as humans. There's our personal growth, our business growth, everything is on the other side of fear. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's always like if you stay in your comfort zone forever, you're never going to grow. So, yep. you know, making sure to, I, I love that. Be courageous, right? That's all you have yep. to do is just, you know, put that <laughs> in not, your mind. <laughs> yep. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy, but it's, you know, it feels so good when you overcome any sort of obstacle that you were afraid of before. Absolutely. It's very freeing. So Mariah, if people want to learn more about you and what you do and how to get in touch, you know, how, how can they go about doing that? Uh, my website, therebelbrain.com, is a good way to get a hold of me. I'm also in uh, Facebook, the Rebel Mariah Ellert, The Rebel Brain, and I have a group there, which is wacky, fun, sharing um, brain tips. It's called Your Rebel Brain. It's a very thematic. <laughs> <laughs> very much so. Yeah. And uh, if people want to learn more about uh, how to kind of hack their brain, as you said, did you say you um, they? that you had like a checklist or something they could do. Yeah, there's a, you can, if you go to my website, therebelbrain.com and scroll down just a hair, there's five, re, five rebel brain hacks to promote better performance in life and business. And there's some quick tools that you can use almost anytime, anywhere. Some of them you can use anywhere and it'll help calm that lizard brain down and kind of tickle that prefrontal cortex and also some somatic um, things you can do as well. But they're... They're my, they're my favorite tips, and I hope that they come in handy for most people. Fantastic. So do make sure to go check out therebelbrain.com. And again, all of the links that Mariah mentioned today will be in the show notes. And, you know, uh, figure out how you can actually hack your brain for more productivity <laughs> and more joy in life, which yes. you know, I, I, I love that promise. Um, and, you know, Mariah, I just want to say thank you again so much for coming on, for sharing your wisdom with us, and for being a part of the show. Thanks so much, Kimberly. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Audience Converter Podcast. For more information and important links about today's show or for access to our website, visit theaudienceconverter.com. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.